Got it. <laughs> what did I just do to you? Oh, you did that thing where we record for 10 minutes and then I look over and realize, oh, we're not recording. Now no. we have to do it again. Are you it was saying- the whole thing with Barbara Streisand and the Jingle Bells. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this <laughs> comes <laughs> out in January. Jingle Bells. That one. It was that again. And then I'm like, does this come out in January? I'm just going to say it again. When Barbara Streisand runs through you, she runs through you. You know what I mean? It's been since like October. I know. That you've been having the Streisand fever. Oh, what is that? Oh, I'm feeling a little flush. Oh, it's just Streisand fever. Is there a vaccine for that? No. Hell no. Hi, Jillian Pezzavalli. More cowbell, right? That's the thing. Jillian cares more cowbell. Anyway. Hi, Patrick Hines. Oh, my goodness, fam. Couple announces. Yeah. Come see us at Obsessed Fest. Yeah, I'd love that. It's going to be, when is it? It's May. It's October. It's not May at all. It's in October. (laughs) October 20th to the 22nd. Uh, 2023, Dallas, Texas. Yes. The tickets are selling really fast. I can say confidently it's going to sell out. So come be with us. Yeah. It's going to be all of your favorite true crime podcasters just walking around. Some very special announcements. Some new guests that weren't there last year. Almost everybody who was there last year is coming back. Okay. It's just like a big community weekend. Come make friends. Come laugh. Do a Taylor Swift sing-along. Yeah, there's going to be, yeah, crime stuff and not crime stuff and yeah. family feud and all this fun nonsense. Can I ask them to come to my book tour? No. <laughs> okay, never, so don't come to that. <laughs> what are you talking about? As they say in Queens, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. We're going to have Cole Pass. Cole Pass. Fam, my traveling book party tour is selling out. We're sold out in Boston. We added dates in Chicago. We added tickets in Seattle. We added tickets in Dallas. Like, y'all just wanted me to come. It's wild. Are you talking about new cities? Did I hear new cities are being added? We did add Atlanta and Orlando because they really wanted me to come there. That's and really they amazing. Were, yeah, so that's all happening. TrueCrimeObsessed.com. Click on the CS Live link. I'm going to read a chapter. There's a video component I'm not going to tell you about just yet. Jillian okay. knows. <laughs> tell them how crazy the video component is. It's what you think times a million. That's all I can say. It is wild. It is. I gave her a little preview just now. It is. It is something. It is something else. I'd love you all to join us on the Patreon if you want more Jillian Sure, that would be fun too. You know what I mean? Over yeah. 350 full ad-free bonus apps, tons of video content, our live show from Obsessed Fest, yeah. our live show from Class Action Park in Boston. Oh yeah, the Wilbur. Yeah, the Rabia panel where she talks about Adnan. There's yes. so much video content there in addition to the 350 bonus apps. Right, yeah, it's like the, all the stuff you get on the regular feed ad-free and then the like long series, like, you know, Relentless maybe and this video, and the all that. video component that I have, maybe eventually I'll put it on Patreon just for a little while so people can see it. The entire thing? The entire just- thing. Yours. Oh, okay. What if I did that just for like a week, just for fun? I think that would, again, <laughs> once again, be quite something. <laughs> That's it, fam. Join the Facebook group. All right, let's get to this. Okay, thing. let's go. Bye. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? You know, I don't know. It's called um, <laughs> We're Sincerely the Happy Face Killer on, it's a 2020 episode. Yeah. Lots of twists and turns in this one. Lots of them. It kind of takes about 45 minutes to get to the Smiley Face Killer because there's a whole thing that happens first. Yeah, also important. But also, also important, we meet a person named Laverne. Yeah. There's a person named Laverne in this. She's a real piece of work. She's a real piece of work. She might have been, no, I was going to say she might have been the first piece of work, but no. no, no. There have been plenty before, during, and since Laverne. My sister, Tanya Bennett, was murdered here. It was the most jumbled up case I've ever seen in my life. It's beginning to become very bizarre to me. Laverne Pavlinak says she heard her boyfriend talking about killing a woman. She was a character, I can tell you that. A decade-long relationship that can only be described as dysfunctional, to put it mildly. The police start to zero in on John Sosnowski. No, no, no. Who's trying to put this 
She says, I know he did it because I was there. She points out exactly where that body had been placed. She couldn't have missed it by 10 feet. I thought, my God, this woman was actually here. This was sort of like, Laverne, are you telling stories again? I always believed that the truth would, would come out eventually. I just didn't think the truth would come out of the mouth of a serial killer. Like shoplifting. It is nothing like shoplifting. You're killing somebody. So we're in Portland, Oregon, fam. Yeah. And they want us to know right at the top, there's lots of trucking there. It's a trucking hub. Trucking and shipping hub. I didn't know that about Portland. They describe it as like a solid working class town, which made me feel good about it. I was like, that sounds like my kind of place. Yeah, and we learned about Portland in the 90s. It yeah. was gritty, working class. Uh, we had our fair share of crimes like any urban area, someone says. <laughs> I know. Uh, and 2020 with the royalty-free grunge baseline. Hello, 90s. <laughs> you know, Seattle's right over that away. That royalty-free stuff will get you every time. Because it's like, boom, boom, I, it's the baseline. Because sometimes they, like, they need something that sounds like Metallica. Have you ever heard of, like one of those? I have, yeah. It's crazy. This is grunge. This is Totally grunge. different. What is what, what What are they describing? Are they hard rock? No, they're grunge. It was its own genre. No, Metallica. They're not grunge. Oh, no. They are not grunge at all. Are they hard rock? I would say they're like rock metal. Rock Some people metal. would say Metallica, you know, okay. metal. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. I learned a little something there today. Headbangers, you know. We learned about this place in Oregon called the Columbia Gorge. Yeah. Which is, now, I learned a new word today. They say this is where people come to enjoy, this word is, I'm going to pronounce it out, Udars. Yeah, the outdoors. Oh, outdoors. It's like the outside. No, no, no. I think it's a German word. It's Udars. Yeah. It's true for Patrick is never doing this. Do you like my joke? I liked it. I knew. I saw it a thousand miles away. I saw it from across the gorge. (laughs) But I patiently waited until it came. And made its way to me. Oot dars. Yeah. Oot dars. Yeah. It sounds like a scary place. I wonder what that really means in German. Because that sounds a little German. Um, We learned murders were rare here. So when something happened, they got a lot of attention. And I'm like, let's let's pay attention always, wouldn't you say? I agree. We also learn about this, the gorge place or whatever, that it is actually gorgeous. And it's beautiful. I'm going to say it every time. It's gorgeous. Can you say it in the Irish way? (laughs) Oot dars. No. It's gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to say somebody tells us that this gorge place. The area is on all the postcards for the state of Oregon everywhere. And it's also a very common location for the dumping of bodies, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> also very popular place for dumping bodies. Now this, excuse yourself, excuse sir. Excuse yourself. This might be the only, quote, known dumping grounds I'm okay with not flooding with floodlights. Because it's, it's too beautiful. We got to preserve it's the beauty. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. It really is. So we're with Sergeant John Ingram. I call retired. him John the Cop. Is that okay? Yes. Because that's exactly what he is. He was yep. working homicide in the 90s. Yes. And he tells us about January 22nd, 1990, there is a body found at 9.30 a.m. Yeah, discovered by a college student who was out for a drive. Yeah. I support a drive. Sure. They tell us it's a body of an unidentified woman found in like this lush, twisting, overgrown area of the gorge. John the cop gets to the body and obviously describes the horrible state that this body was left in. Yes. Her clothing was lifted up above her breasts and her jeans were down around between her knees and her ankles. And as I got to the body, I could see that she had been severely beaten and that there was a rope around her neck. She had been strangled. And it was evident that there had probably been some kind of sexual assault. 
and she had been strangled. And yeah. we do have some evidence. There was um, some hair found. Not her hair. Like, yeah. like the perpetrator's hair found on her body. Yeah, they call it head hair, which yeah. I know is exactly what it is, but it's like head hair. What a weird <laughs> phrase. I'm, that's a me thing. It's literally hair from her head. It, so it's like, a weird, no, from his from head. From their head, yeah. whatever. From, yeah. a per, from a person's head. But I'm, I'm going like, to go with hair. It's very rarely a her in these It's absolutely situations. a him. Yeah, totally. um, there's also denim from the fly of jeans that was yeah. like cut. No ID anywhere, but there was also a Swiss army knife and headphones from a Walkman. Yes. But nothing to indicate who she was. No ID, no, like, I, nothing like identifying about her. Yeah. And so our victim, they release a sketch and even though it looks absolutely nothing like our victim, yeah. the victim's older sister comes forward about a week later and her name's Michelle. Yeah, Michelle comes forward to say like, my sister hadn't come home in a week and then my neighbor was like, you really need to watch the news because there's like, they found a body and they show this, we gotta do better with these sketches. I or I don't know, I mean, I don't think they were reconstructing her face because she wasn't that badly decomposed. You would think they would be able to make, because when we see what she actually looks like, the woman in the sketch really, really looks nothing at all like at the all. person, except for like the haircut. Right, so our victim's name is Tanya Bennett. She's 23 years old because her sister Michelle is here. So yeah. she tells us about Tanya. She's a 23-year-old woman. She's described by her family as super friendly, but maybe a little bit naive. Tanya Bennett was intellectually disabled. She was coping, though, and had apparently, you know, some social life. She's a little bit slow, but she's the only one that graduated from high school. They go out of their way to say, but like, yet she was still the only member of her family to graduate from high school. Like, yeah. she worked really hard. She had like a very full life. She also listened to Madonna all she day long. She loved Madonna. Like, <laughs> I know. arguably one I of know. the best Madonna eras. Immaculate collection. The Immaculate Eric, collection. Are you kidding me? With, it's like Vogue or whatever. That like it's, it's like they're playing. They're, she's listening to Holiday. Totally. That's what's on a loop and like Borderline, Lucky yeah. Star. I know. Don't get me. You want to do this? Peak. Yeah, you could lose Peak. me here all. So the day Tanya goes missing, here's what we learn. She takes a bus to see her friends. Yeah. She is tasked with returning videotapes on the way. Including so 90s. the 90s classic War of the Roses. Field of Dreams, yes. Weekend at Bernie's, and Ghostbusters 2. Weekend One at Bernie's? hell of a weekend. Oh my God. Madonna and Field of Dreams I and know. Weekend at Bernie's, Ghostbusters 2. I gotta tell you, Kathleen Turner and War of the Roses, like when Kathleen Turner was at her peak, there was no fucking with Kathleen Turner. I love that I'm like, Ghostbusters 2, and you're like, War of the Roses. I know. Weirdly, I've gotten to meet her like a bunch of times. Really? Yeah, and she is... The, she great? Yeah, she's the icon you would have met. One time I was bartending, her table was upstairs, she came down to the bar, and she goes, I need three shots of Grey Goose vodka right now, my family thinks I don't drink. <laughs> Chilled, she, right? she, and she wanted them individually, not all in one. She drank three she shots. She wanted to do she, the, theater. <laughs> the theater. A little bit of theater. <laughs> She's 900 She's feet tall. I know. <laughs> there is nothing like Kathleen Turner. She's a force. Oh, my God. So Tanya takes her Walkman with her, and she had the tape of Back to Life by Soul to Soul. Remember yeah, her favorite song? song. Back to life. Back to reality. So Tanya stops by the B&I Tavern. Yes. She was a semi-regular there. This, again, is the day she was missing. Yeah, and she, according to witnesses, she walked in just happy-go-lucky and was hugging people. And she was there playing pool with two guys. And then later during uh, her shift, why she noticed that uh, Tanya had, had left and the two men had gone. 
And eventually they all left, but no one knew if they left together or if they all just happened to leave. Yeah. Which is frustrating, but also like, yeah, if that makes sense. Right. You yeah, can't like, be mad at anybody for not noticing. You know what I mean? Yeah, because like, okay, they all went out the door together, but did they get in the same car? Who knows? No one's like keeping tabs, right? Yeah. And also Sister Michelle tells us it's not like super unusual for her to leave the house and be gone for a couple days. Yeah, she had a lot to do. She's a grown up. You know what I mean? She's, she's 23. She has the biggest social circle, social life of anyone in her family. It's like true. She's, got a, she's living her life. She's got Madonna on the walkman. She's ready to go. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah, they said she was like a little bit secretive. Fine. The cops are trying to trace her steps. Everything was a dead end until they get an anonymous tip. And it is a woman calling the cops to implicate John Sosnovsky. He was bragging at the bar about strangling a girl. Oh, my God. Yeah, let me, I want to go on the record here and say that nobody can pronounce his last name. So they all just call him John. Okay, great. Is it not Sosnovsky? <laughs> no, you nailed it. And okay, I wrote great. it out phonetically. But nobody, everybody, in the, including a judge who yells at him at one point, has to like say his name four times. Okay, well, everyone. We see that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing to know about John, which is, important is that he's described as an alcoholic and he's got a girlfriend named Laverne. Yeah, and also, so John, we learn, he works at the Lumberyard by day. He's a drinker by night. Their yes. words. He is on probation for a DUI, but other than that, he has no criminal history at all. We meet his attorney and his attorney is here to tell us. Laverne Pavlinak and John Sosnovsky were involved in a codependent dysfunctional relationship, the details of which were never made real clear. But she was really wanting to be out of the relationship. Laverne is John's girlfriend. They keep describing her as an older woman or an elderly woman or a grandmother type. She's like 55. She, but she's 18 years older than him. Yeah. You know, I got, we got, we got to do it, GP. You got to give me a minute to talk about her name. Her name is Laverne. Her name is Laverne. You I love it. I, I don't it know. It is what. a very like old school yes. name. It really is Shamil Schmazel, yeah. Hoppe Pfeffer Incorporated yeah. or whatever. That's Laverne and Shirley, everybody. Yeah, totally. Even I know that. That is in the cultural zeitgeist. It's Get true. it together. It's and if you true. were like Dick Van Dyke, who's that? I, I can't help you. <laughs> no, I agree. Learn about the history of this country. Just, it is American it history, is American damn history. it. God damn it. I just couldn't get over Every time they said that, you cannot say the name Laverne no. without sounding like you're mad. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Laverne. Laverne. <laughs> I mean, like, and I'm not, like, I just, like, in my connotation is that, like, every Laverne works at a pie shop. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Or she's, ju- or she, because she worked, like, human resources for 26 uh-huh. years. She and everyone loved her she, pound cake or her carrot cake She's great with the coffee refill. Yeah. She's got those, those cat eye glasses. But everyone's like, oh, God, Laverne's here. She she probably was, like, at the grassy knoll the moment that Kennedy was shot. She was there. Is she babushka? Laverne, babushka lady? Laverne's babushka. No. We found babushka. You know, so, but here's something funny they keep calling if her if you all think I'm not going to make 18 pilgrimages to the Grassy Knoll in Again. Dallas for Obsessed Fest we pick the hotel because it's close you can walk to the Grassy Knoll <laughs> to the Grassy motherfucking Knoll you can oh walk to it oh my god I'm going to go twice you're giving least. tours aren't you <laughs> I'm going to stand where Babush stood. I'm going to stand where the guy with the black umbrella stood. If you don't know who that is, look it up. It's fucking fascinating. Okay. Okay. Sorry. We can go on. Film. Um, <laughs> just another thing about them calling Laverne like this elderly yeah. grandma-like woman. She's like yeah. 55. Yes. <laughs> I remember the first time like watching the Golden Girls once I had a better uh-huh. grasp of age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I because know when you're a this. kid. They seem like they're they, a thousand years old. And they old. also like, also, you know that fun fact that Estelle Getty was, was younger the, than B. Arthur. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that wig. My goodness. <laughs> It's wonderful, but it, but when they're talking, what are we doing here? I'm so excited because when they're talking about like how old they are all uh-huh. the time, and then eventually like Dorothy's like, I am 55, Blanche, and I'm like, what? I know, I know. Wait a I second, know. they we're... talk like they've been widows for 30 years, half of them. I they add oh retirement. Oh, at my age, Dorothy, well, I simply can't. And I'm like, then Dorothy drops that she's in her like mid 50s. 
that she's best. She's still got like a, a full decade in the workforce before she can retire. Like, it's so <laughs> ridiculous the way they like lean into that they're elderly when it suits them. Meanwhile, are we ever going to talk about... <laughs> This is the most amazing conversation we've ever and had on this podcast. Then let's, then let's talk about how the fact oh, okay. that Sophia's from Italy, but she sounds like she's from Bensonhurst. And we never, and when her sister comes, her it's sister the same Angela, thing. Her sister Angela, which is like a big surprise they haven't spoken in 30 years. And then they hate each other, and yeah. then they don't, and I it's great. Know, but they're like like back in the old country in happening? Sicily, but she they talk like they're from Brooklyn. I know. Like real Italians. I know, I, I know, I know. Anyway, Laverne isn't that old. She's just older than John. <laughs> but they even say, they were like, I believed every word she said. She was like my grandmother. Well, I'm like, what? <laughs> No, I know. The thing is, we learn about Laverne that she made that anonymous call saying that her boyfriend, John, is the killer of this girl because they had set up a tip line for the murder. Yeah. We learned that Laverne's been doing this to John for years. Laverne would repeatedly call the probation officer kind of claiming that he was drinking too much. He was not pleasant to live with. There was a bank robbery where they published a picture and she reported him as the likely suspect in the bank robbery. She calls the probation officer anytime there's a mugshot. Just ask her, she'll tell you. She's not hiding it. No. She would report him anonymously and talk all the shit about him. And we learned that either she's very much exaggerating or these are total and complete lies because she's trying to pin like murders on John. Like one after another after another. And like they tell us that they're just in this really bad relationship. She's just trying, she somehow can't leave him and she can't break up with him or whatever. So anytime anything goes wrong, she calls the cops and blames it on John. I am all for like doing have to do to get out of a relationship yes. that's bad for you. Yeah. Laverne loves this. Yeah, but maybe don't pin a murder on the guy. Like, Laverne you know what I mean? loves she this. Loves because it. she will laugh about it later. I know. Like, she, this is like fun for her and she, like, I'm sure he's making her life miserable, but she kind of likes giving it right back but to him. I gotta also but say, also don't pin, don't like, don't pin a murder. Accuse him of murder. Like, this was the Ted Bundy thing too, where like, would they put the sketch of Ted Bundy out and every woman in America was calling, if your name was Ted, somebody right. was turning you in for this thing. Yeah. I was like, oh, Men, asshole. treat yeah. the women in your life better and they'll stop doing this. Right. You know, it's impossible for them. It's like scientifically impossible. We've been doing this for like thousands of years. Like, it's not going to work. I'm surprised when that Madeline McCann egg, like no oh my face God. sketch the went out that bangs? every single man didn't get turned in for I know. It. You know what I mean? I'm sure they tried. Totally. Look at this one. He's a real dick. <laughs> I bet he took that, co- yeah. that kid. Oh, God. But I don't think it was in Portugal that weekend. You know what? Call anyway. Call anyway. Call anyway. Well, that's the other thing. Like, she's wasting a lot of people's time. Yeah. Like, the FBI is involved. Right. Like, there are actual real crimes that need Need to be solved, including this very one 100%. that she's trying to blame her boyfriend for. So here's her first story. Yes. Laverne has many stories. This is her first one. <laughs> yeah. Laverne stated that she had been with Sosnowski at JB's Lounge, and she had overheard him tell a man that he had killed a girl and left her body in the gorge and that he had sex with her. She then describes, he's talked about tying me up. He plays with rope, implicating him further in, in what's going on with Tanya Bennett. He is bragging about sexually assaulting her. He's bragging about strangling her, killing her, leaving her body in the gorge. John came home at 1 a.m. And I'm like, I guess Laverne left the bar before John did. Because uh-huh. the story's already like Laverne. Oh, and nobody's Laverne. asking her a single question. They just believe everything she says because she's like their grandma. And I guess she's drinking with someone in recovery or whatever. Uh-huh. And then John at 1 a.m. takes off all of his clothes, takes a shower, which is unusual, as we learned with most men that are called about this. Yes. He came home and cleaned the bathroom. He's never cleaned the bathroom in his life. <laughs> right. How many times have we heard that? A thousand. I know. 
<laughs> yeah, that's her first story. And the police believe her because she was, quote, a grandmother type person. Oh, my God. One other, she tried to pin a bank robbery on him. Remember this? There was like a blurry photo in the newspaper. <laughs> She's, She's like, like, that's uh, John. It looked, it wasn't John. It looked nothing like him. No, but it's just like, I don't know. You would think that they would be like, oh, fuck, it's Laverne again. You know what I mean? I guess. You can't take this lady at her word. So we, we get Laverne's backstory. Before getting into this relationship with John, she had been married to like her high school sweetheart. They were married for 25 years. He like cheated on her and left. Yeah. And then like she married another guy who died of cancer. And this guy, John, was his like helper. The guy's farmhand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how she met John. Which like it's that's a shitty life story. You know, that's yes. a shitty backstory. I mean, especially with relationships. Right? right. You can't deny that. But then it's just like, yeah, everyone's like, yeah, like Beth Karras is like, yeah, Jillian. But they still had a very fucked up dysfunctional relationship. Yeah, I don't know where Beth Karras is from, but she is from a suburb of Boston. I am convinced yeah. of that. Because she's What'd got that. I, I can't remember the exact words, but you know she's got the Duncan app. She's yeah. got her regular. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can hear, like, the Burlington, Massachusetts Yeah. <laughs> So the cops get a search warrant for John's house, and they're looking for things that we know she had that are missing, like her purse. Evidence. Ev- thank you. <laughs> I was like, what is the thing with that, like the, the little bits of things that connect you to the crime? What's yeah. that called again? Evidence. It's ev- Thank you so yep. much. So they're looking for Tanya's purse. They're looking for the piece of her jeans that was cut away. Yeah. They don't find those things, but they do find a piece of paper with the words T. Bennett, period, a good piece, Disgusting. period, written on it. Which I'm assuming what? is like, good piece of ass. That's like what that, another right? reporter says. Like, so that's gross. What, but like, did he know her or like, did he actually do this? Like, did, like what the fuck? Yeah. So John gets hauled in for questioning, yeah. obviously. <laughs> um, and he's very cooperative. John Subsnowski was adamant that he had never met Tanya Bennett and that he definitely didn't kill Tanya Bennett. Anything else you'd like to say, sir? Uh, yes, if I may. Uh, I'm more than willing to help in any way that I can and, and clear myself and, and to help you people because I have nothing to hide. I didn't even know that she was a victim. Like, I, I don't know anything about this. And John was adamant. And he's like, I want to help. Yeah. Like, there's been a horrible misunderstanding and a murder. Like, let's all work together, fellas. Like, totally. let's get to the bottom of this. And they've got nothing, so they've got to let him go. And I just wrote, Laverne does not like that John was released. Well, because they take a hair sample, <laughs> yeah. which they found. But, like, okay, so who's lying, John or Laverne, Well, right? and somebody wrote her name and, like, either staged it or it's real. So either Laverne staged that piece right. of evidence or it's real. So John walks in the door and Laverne's like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> Did she get the death penalty yet? And so she, like, John walks in and she's like, God damn it. And she immediately, like, calls the cops and she's like, I want to actively be involved in the conviction of my boyfriend. So let's figure this out. And they say that Laverne's calling them, like, every 10 minutes. Then Laverne... Demanding to know why he's not in prison yet. Also, I can't get over her name is Laverne. Laverne. I can't stop saying it. it. I love it. You love it. So she's calling the police to tell them, oh, by the way, in my trunk, I found a strange looking purse and a piece of denim from a woman's pair of jeans. Isn't that exactly what you were looking for when you searched the house? Like, every time she calls, she's one matter at John, but two, miraculously has another piece of evidence that she didn't have the last time I she mean, called. I mean, like, this is obvious to everybody but the cops. You know right. what I mean? Like, I'm like, Laverne, you need to take a fucking deep breath. Because what she's doing is she's reading articles in the newspaper and then calling the cops and saying that she has the thing they're looking for. Right, and then, then we get this thing where the cops are like, well, the hair that we found either matches or doesn't match John. We're not really sure and we can't tell you. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's consistent with John's hair, but what that translates to, they can't say it is and they can't say it isn't. Like, then you gotta throw it out. You know what I mean? So, 
John takes a lie detector test. He, quote, fails it. Yeah. But then he fucking modifies his story. Because John is told he fails it. Also, we have to stop with lie detectors. I, I know. Am I, I'm going to say that every time. I'm on the record, but I just... For, uh, um, so, John... It's worth, it's worth that little pause every time, I think. It's just worth mentioning. You know what I mean? Don't do it. Yeah. Ask for a lawyer. Don't take the lie detector. And they're bullshit. So, yeah. when John is told that he failed, he's like, I'm sorry, is that what I said? Hold on. So, he changes his entire story. Right. He writes out a seven-page statement and reads it aloud, and that's what we hear on the tape. So, now his story is that he actually did see her at the bar that night. I also love to know like what role the cops played in this Honest to God. That he like wrote it out. So like, is it one of those things where John's like, I want to change my story. They stop the tape Uh and then suddenly we have a seven page written confession that And they start doing that like, that J thing where they're tapping when he gets her right. Come on. Dollars to donuts. (laughs) Come on. I can't even. But he says he did see her at the bar that night. She left with another guy. They went to a, a truck stop to have sex. Then he sees the guy later. The guy's name is Chuck Riley. He asks this guy Chuck for a ride home, and it was real weird because I believe I saw a body in the back of the car. The body was wrapped in a blanket. The body, be, the body was one of a white female adult. I had not known how she was killed. John's like, I don't know how she was killed, but she was definitely dead in the back of this guy Chuck's car. But what are you going to do when a guy needs a ride home? You got to you gotta just take it no matter what's in the backseat. Right. Now, this is a major shift in the story, obviously. Yeah. So the police call Chuck, and Chuck's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, John and Laverne are, re- like, spoiler, they didn't do it. No. And they're both really bad at this. And Chuck didn't do it either. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> because Chuck is like, you know what? Search my car. Like, right. I have nothing to hide. Yeah. And they search the car. It's totally clean. There's zero evidence. Chuck is cleared. And I'm I'm sure lost his drinking buddy and John. I get, and I'm you, not going to go to the bar and hang out with someone who tried to convict me of murder. No. And then they do, like, the laziest wiretap of all time. Oh, my God. They, <laughs> they wiretap John in Laverne's apartment. Now, I'm telling you this. I would listen to those tapes for 15 Forever. hours. Can you imagine the kind of fucking hijinks that are going because on in that house? Because what is happening is that they're trusting Laverne. Laverne, yeah. and who lies. You know, it's, it's even better when you say my name. <laughs> so, is it just you, like dripped you, with anger? You just, no one can say that name without the hard V, and it makes Laverne. you sound like you're mad at her. Laverne. You can't not say it like that. Oh my God, happy birthday, Laverne. <laughs> oh my God, welcome home, Laverne. Does it still sound mad? Sounds like you're mad. Fuck it's, you, Laverne. Is it the same Laverne? Yeah, 100%. It's wonderful. Weird, wild stuff. So they get a warrant and they bug John's house, but they're asking Laverne to try to get a confession out of John. <laughs> and so, she's one of those people who, like anybody, isn't good at this. So it's like the wiretap's been in there for 30 seconds and she's asking if he fucking killed the girl. She's like, oh, I can't stop thinking about... I can't, is this on? I can't stop thinking about this poor woman's mother. John, how, what is your feeling about that? Wait, speak into my boobs. Speak into my boobs. What a tragedy. John catches on in five seconds because Laverne's been doing this their entire 10-year relationship. You think John doesn't know that she's calling? I know. And you know what I mean? Totally. Like, because if she's calling his probation officer, the probation officer is saying, John, where were you Wait, right. on this night? So John knows that she's doing this. So the minute she asks him this very obvious question, he's like, No, no, no. Who's trying to put this on me? I don't know. There ain't no body, for God's sake. I don't. And we hear him like, Are you trying to pin a murder on me? <laughs> right. The bank robbery was bad enough. <laughs> and I didn't do that one I either. Know. It, it's, it's like, Laverne. I. I, I <laughs> You can't say it and not sound mad. And John's like, don't I know it? I know. So it's February 21st, 1990. The cops keep trying to get evidence and they keep running into roadblocks. And that's when Laverne calls them and changes her story yet again. She wanted him out of her life. She thought this is the way to get this man away from me. When they confront her, she then implicates herself. She says, I know he did it. 
because I was there. I was there with him. Right. And, you know, he killed her because he kidnapped Tanya and then called Laverne to help her with this, like, horrible sexual assault and this murder. And And Laverne knows Tanya because Laverne worked at a mental health facility where Tanya had been a patient. Yeah, it's a so not only is she like now she's implicating herself in this murder. Right. That's like the other other than just like making up this story, which the cops completely believe, by the way. Right. She's now implicate like she she wants to get him so badly that she's going to fucking get herself in trouble, too. Right. Like saying that he he made her help hide the body, like all of this crazy stuff. Right. So then the police, like one of the cops is like. She does lie a lot, though. Like, how are we going to, like, prove it, Laverne? So they ask her to take them to the location where the body was found. Now, to be really clear, the gorge that we were talking about before, it's miles and miles and miles of road. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, the only way she would know is if she was there. So, obviously, she wasn't, so she's going to get this wrong. Right, Jillian? That's what I was thinking, Patrick. What happens? (laughs) Now, as Corson and I are proceeding on the Columbia Highway. Kind of this twisting, winding road um, where everything sort of looks the same. She points out exactly where that body had been placed. She couldn't have missed it by 10 feet. Within 10 feet, she points to the exact location where they found we the body. We see the photo. We see her in like her house dress like pointing. Like yeah. That. There it is. So they're like, well, she must be telling the truth. So they fucking arrest John. Days later, she calls the cops back and she's like, there's actually even, she got what she wanted. Yeah. He, the guy's arrested. He's not living at the house anymore. She calls the cops and it's like, actually, there's actually more to the story, boys. Well, two things there. One, are they going to charge Laverne with accessory after the fact or right. whatever? And also, when she changes her story, there's a quote that everyone's like, I'll never forget it because she called and she goes it's correction time correction time Laverne's having the time of her life she, she's 100- loving every se- there's something in her that like this is she needs this for the first time in her life she's at the center of the story you know what I mean she's for the put first- herself there 15,000 times exactly so she says here's what really happened and they turn on the tape recorder they record the whole thing so in this version of the story John calls her again at the bar with Tanya right Laverne shows up Tanya's alive and she doesn't say in this story that she recognized Tanya right. from that at school or whatever. Like, that part of... That's not in this story for no, some reason. No, and essentially... John, her live-in boyfriend, says to Laverne, we're going to take this girl, I'm going to go and have sex with her, but I want to tie her up and I want you to hold the rope around her neck. I want you to strangle her while I'm assaulting her and also then we're going to kill her. Yeah. To which Laverne says, okay. So... According to her story. And the cops are saying, like... No, I'm thinking. She's pointed out the dump site. She's confessed to us on tape. She's told her own daughter the same story, very convincingly. I'm thinking, my God, she is actually involved in this. She's literally admitting to killing this girl. Yeah. And A, why would she do that? But B, she knew where the body was, so this mm-hmm. story has to be true. Yeah, and but there are major questions like, why is she implicating herself in this assault and this murder and right. this kidnapping and, and all this shit? Also, like, you would think that John would be throwing her under the bus, like, in his it- interrogation, and he's never mentioned anything about this. Right. And also, this like, is... shouldn't that be a red flag for the cops? Absolutely. Like, why would... What, like, John must hate her now. Why right. isn't he, like, ratting her out? Yeah. And also, this is Laverne's corrected 
story. Right. This exactly. is the story she really wants on the record. After she got what she wanted, which was John out of the house. Right. And she's like, her role in the story is the worst in this version. And she's like, no, that's the one. That's the real that's one. The one. That exactly. one. That one. Right. Lock me up because yeah. I, I help with the assault and everything. And they say, like, John the cop is like, well, we take her downtown and put her in a, in a cell. And before she goes in. Before it's about to go clink. She like to really drive home the grandma worship of it all. She wants to give him a hug and he accepts it. Oh, I was going to say she basically recants the minute she's behind bars. Well, and then that happens too. Like she hears the door shut and she realizes what she's fucking done. She's got these grown daughters who are like, Mom, you just admitted to a murder you didn't do. And she goes, well, I made it up to get out of the relationship. Laverne, he was already arrested. <laughs> he was gone. What is wrong? What is going on? So we go to the... Now we're at Laverne's trial. We're 45 minutes into this thing. Nobody this is, knows what the hell to believe. This is where I have my first note. I thought this was about the happy face killer. So did I. No one's mentioned the happy face killer. Not yet. So it goes to trial. No one knows what to believe. I mean, you have a full confession on tape. Laverne took them to the murder site, but now she's on the stand apologizing, saying she did it because she hates her boyfriend. And so Beth Karras goes, she recants her confession um, and says, I made it all up just to get rid of this guy. She says, I just wanted to get out of this abusive relationship. So you're going to frame him for murder and incriminate yourself? Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? To which I said, good question, Karis. Beth, asking all the right questions. That's why she's Beth Karis. I love Beth Karis. And I'm sitting here. I totally. Doing this. So Laverne is found guilty, obviously. Yeah. Right? And even though she's a liar, I mean, she's confessing to this thing. She points to the site. Like, everyone's like, all right, she, she did it. I don't believe that she had anything to do with this murder, but how did she know where the body was? And we'll get to that in the end. We'll get to it. So she's found guilty, and John panics. John's like, shit, they're definitely going to convict me now. Yeah. And he knows he didn't do this. Right. I don't know why he's not speaking up. Maybe he is. I don't know. But he pleads no contest because that will at least avoid the death penalty. So he's just going to get life in prison. Yeah, he gets life in prison instead of the death penalty. Like, uh, so yeah, he gets life in prison, but John is starting, it's like false confession in reverse where like your your ex-girlfriend is making you believe it because he's like, wait a second. Well, this is important because this is why I was saying that alcoholism earlier is important yeah. because he's saying like, wait, this must be what really happened because I'm often so drunk that I don't know what I did that, that he night. out. Like she must be telling the truth. So he believes right. he did this. And he's like, no one in their right mind would say this, right. that I did this if I didn't do it. And like, I must have done at least one version of that story. Yeah. Like, he- She's told seven. One of them must be true. She knew where the body was. Right. Like, it all ends with me killing her. Uh So, like, maybe, I mean, I am, a. you know, it's like, it's terrifying. But the thing is, like, this all feels very weird to everyone involved. The cops, the lawyers, everyone's like, what is Is going on? Everyone watching this episode. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that's when we learn halfway through that hundreds of miles away, someone else is confessing to the murder of Tanya Bennett, among other women. Kind of. They're finding these confessions written in, like, pen on bathroom stall doors in like truck stops these cryptic messages were found hundreds of miles away from the courthouse one in montana and one in eastern oregon i killed tanya bennett the people took the blame so i can kill again Two people got the blame so I can kill again. Right. So, like, the cops know about this, but, like, it's not connected to a person. And it could just be, like, the rambling writings of a crazy Yeah, a person. lot of people want to take credit for exactly. things that happens. So, but it's 1994, and Laverne is maintaining her innocence, and now these letters are coming. And this newspaper in Oregon... The Oregonian. The Oregonian, which is weird because it's Oregon, but then you say Oregonian. Or you say, wait, or... 
you say or Oregon, right? You say Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember, like, when we were kids, the Oregon Trail, but we always said Oregon Trail. Yeah, and then got I got big a vo- trouble with Miss Sossel if you yeah. said Oregon. <laughs> Miss Sossel, yeah, Ms. Sossel totally. <laughs> but I, I did voiceover work for a radio station in Oregon, oh. and when I got the gig, they were like, "Before you even say it, it's oh Oregon." My. I was like, "I, I know, I don't." They were like, "We take it very seriously around here." I was like, "I gotcha." <laughs> Don't worry about a thing. So now it's been ingrained because I was yelled at before I even yeah, fucked yeah. up. Wait, was Miss Slossel the producer of that? She thing? must have been. Yes, it was. Janet Schlossel. What was her name? Slossel? It was Janet Slossel. It was Laverne Slossel. She's a real piece of work. What is her name? Spell it. Don't act like I'm the crazy one. What is her name? Miss Sossels. Oh, I I heard an extra L in there, and then I added and like an CH. H. Whatever. <laughs> Point is, it's Oregon. People take it very seriously. I love the idea that my fifth grade elementary school teacher like quit her job to yeah. go produce radio commercials in Queens. Yeah, in Oregon. We did it remotely back before the pandemic. Recorded it in my closet, my old apartment. And she married a man named Jonathan Schlossel, close enough to her original last name. So her name name is Janet Janet Sossel Schlossel. (laughs) Is her real name Janet? I don't know. Wouldn't that be great if it was? Oh my God. So this newspaper gets a very, very scary and, quote, sick letter. And it's handwritten. And there's a smiley face drawn on top. Here we are at the happy face of it all. Yeah. So in this letter, the writer claims to be the murderer of Tanya Bennett. Yeah. But the writer of the letter also confesses to a bunch of other murderers. Yes. And he's saying, I went to truck driving school and learned to drive. While driving, I learned a lot and heard of people that have gotten away with such a crime because of our nomad life. It's the perfect job if you want to like get away with a bunch of murders. Yeah. And so this guy, Phil Stanford, starts investigating the hell out of this. Because yeah. he's like, I know people are in prison, but it is a weird case. Like, I'm going to, because this guy just keeps confessing. He's like, there might be something here. Well, because, so Phil says, like, look, we got who we think did the Tanya murder. So I'm going to look at the other four. Yeah. So Phil, the reporter, is telling us that, like, in this letter, in the Happy Face letter, the killer is claiming to have murdered a specific Jane Doe in Blythe, California. And he knew the exact location. He knew there was tape at the scene. And we're told he knew other things that only the killer would know. And it was a cold case. Right. And so this, just to point out, the killer is taking credit for this in the same letter where he's taking credit for killing Tanya. Right. So now it's it's just starting to look like they got the wrong people for the Tanya murder. Right. And so Phil, the journalist, like wants to sort of tie it all together. And the cops are like, yeah, I don't know. The case is closed. And the thing about the Tanya Bennett murder is that like everything's out in the world. Right. So if there's a lot of details in those letters, it's because they were just reading our newspapers. Exactly. So the cops aren't taking this seriously, but Phil, the journalist, is like, no, I think we're really onto something here. And then nothing happens until March of 1995, and yeah. another woman's body is found in the gorge, and her name is Julie Winningham. Yeah, she was found by a motorist who pulled over to pee, that poor bastard. Uh. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so glad she was found, but holy shit. Like, holy it's just shit. like nine in the morning, and you're pulling over to take your morning pee. Also, peeing outside, right? <laughs> I know. I know that's like not Thank a Thank God. Thing, you're but... like, he was meant to find her, and thank yeah. God he did, but just like, it, like the shock to the system that that must be. Right. And we hear the 911 call. He sounds pretty calm, and he's trying to like be a good citizen but oh my god oh my god so we're with melissa who's julie's best friend and we learn a little bit about julie because a lot of the you know she has bruises consistent with strangulation and they're thinking like okay it is in the gorge is this connected to tanya bennett somehow melissa the best friend is telling us she was a free spirit and she would go here there and uh she would go to work at a place and wouldn't work for very long because she would always go out on the road but you know she would pop in and pop out and Over the years, she was that type of person. 
she wasn't connected to or tied down to many things. And like Melissa and her loved each other, but like on the last day they saw each other, they had a big fight. Yeah. And according to Melissa, Julie was struggling with alcoholism. Yeah. So the cops are talking to a lot of her friends and family. And based on these conversations, the cops learned that Julie was seen with a, quote, very large man, about 6'6", 300 pounds, and he drove a big blue truck. So this is the guy that she's been hanging out with in the days before she goes missing. And then we learn, like, they were dating, they were going to move in together. Some people were saying they were engaged, but no one knows this guy's name. They're like, is it Rich? Is it Keith? He's like, maybe? It's weird because he must be relatively new in her life. I mean, I know she's not, like, consistently seeing these people, but, like, he's, like, a big, enormous guy. Like, he makes an impression. You'd think yeah. they'd remember his name. Yeah. But nobody can. Nobody can remember this guy's name. And then we meet Bonnie, who served Julie when she was, like, working at a diner. And, yeah. like, Julie came in all the time and they sort of became friends. And Bonnie says, you know, I just bought a car from Julie. And Julie was with her fiance. I'm pretty sure his name was Jerry. And if you want, like, you can have that information about the car. Like, maybe there's because something about that. Because there was a bill of sale. So there's a handwritten bill of sale to transfer the ownership of the car. And we see that it was witnessed by this guy, Keith Hunter Jesperson, who's the six foot six trucker guy. Yeah, it's not Jerry, it's not Chris, it's not Rich. The fiance, the guy she was seen with, yeah. was Keith. And only one person that they questioned said, I think his name was Keith. And remember, the cops are kind of like, wait, they were in a relationship, they were gonna get married, she's been missing and wound up dead. Where is this guy? We gotta find Keith. Why isn't he giving a shit? Why isn't he out here looking for her? Right. You know what I mean? So they go to the trucking company he works for, yeah. and they ask around about him. They're like, yeah, he works here. Yes, that is absolutely his blue truck. And you know what? He's gonna be in Las Cruces, New Mexico in two days. And now all I can think about is Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. <laughs> I'm driving all the way out to Las Cruces. 200 miles. I'm eight. driving all the way out to Las Cruces. <laughs> the way he says Las Cruces. <laughs> it's like how you say Laverne. You can't yeah. say it and not sound mad. The way Aaron Paul as Jesse Pinkman says Las Cruces. The fact that Aaron Paul was on The Price is Right and we have I video ev evidence to back it up. I know. It's wild. He's like, I was on 10 Red Bulls that day. I know. And before he was famous, I it's know. crazy. He was like just about to be Can famous. you imagine? It's so crazy. Las Cruces. But so they like the cops, essentially, they fly out to Las Cruces. <laughs> they you. get there ahead of him and they wait for him like in the parking lot of where he's supposed to be. We identified ourselves as detectives and asked if he'd come to the sheriff's office to talk to us. He said he'd absolutely go there, no problem. And that was our first insight into Keith Jesperson because Keith Jesperson thoroughly enjoyed talking about how great Keith is. This guy was writing letters. Of course he's going to talk. Right. Yeah, exactly. So everyone who talks about this guy, Jess, Jesperson, talks about how much, whenever he's like in an interview, loves to talk about himself. About how great he is. I mean, oh, he's so great. Yeah, I got to say, he's like a... We, Says him. Well, so we learn about this guy. I hate it when people talk about their childhood abuse as tough love. Uh -huh. He was beaten by both his mother Ugh. and his father. This guy like didn't have any friends. People made fun of him because he was bigger than the rest of him. Let them. me... Hold on a second. Yeah. Kids are fucking ruthless. Yes. They will bully anyone and everyone. You don't bully the tall kid, That's, right? I was just saying, when did What, do you have a death wish? He was also incredibly good looking. Like, when did being tall and good looking become a fucking liability? They're calling him Baby Huey because apparently there was a cartoon where Baby Huey was like a big fucking chicken. This seems like so <laughs> mean know. and probably offensive now. I'm I like, guess. what is Baby Huey? I don't, I know. And they play some of it and I'm like, this is unsettling. It seems wrong. I, I don't know. know what it, I'm scared of this. It's true. I don't like this. This was for children? So Keith gets married in 1975. He has three kids and he'd be gone all week driving because he yeah. was a trucker and then he'd come home on the weekend. 
So by 1988, he was divorced. His wife took the kids. And we meet another Melissa. Everyone, yeah. Everyone's friend, sister, person is named Melissa. Yeah. But Melissa is Keith's daughter, and she's here. And she says, Once my parents divorced, my father's behavior became more erratic and creepy. It was like he was free and unfiltered to say whatever disturbing thing he wanted to say. Or do. He was free to say and do whatever he wanted, and we don't get any more details. I know. I kind Melissa, of thank God. I know. Like, what do you mean, but also don't tell me? Yeah. But when it comes to Julie, his, his like, fiance, his fiance, and right. the victim we're talking about right now, yeah. he denied killing her, but he also like didn't really care that she was dead. Like right. He didn't ask what happened to her. He's not even trying to pretend. No, and the cops have nothing on him, so they've got to let him go, and they're like, we're miles from the Mexican border. He's going to like flee into Mexico and just be gone. They got to make some moves here. Yeah. But they still let him go. So a couple weeks weeks later, March 24th, 1995, Keith decides that the best thing to do is turn himself in. Keith, this is the killer. He has to, uh, he of course has to make it seem like it was his idea. Yeah, he calls the cops from a fucking rest area. And then someone's like, well, they kept, they were playing phone tag for a couple days. <laughs> I know. Wait a second. <laughs> I know, They are I know. missing his call. He's leaving messages. He's minutes away from the Mexican border. Right. Don't you dare use the term phone tag. Admitting to Julie Winningham's murder and they just, they can't, they can't say it's after just five. Just keep they missing each other. <laughs> Can we have like a direct line that he can I call know. hoping that he calls back to recap like what is going on and like his fucking story about why he killed her is that she had came to his truck they had sex and that he wanted to have sex again and um she didn't and so he strangled her he wanted to have sex again she didn't want to so he strangled her yeah that's an appropriate response my god yeah yeah and he's doing all of this over the phone I know what was the other one The, the was it BTK or whatever well, who was the other like enormously tall guy oh Ed Kemper Ed Kemper yeah who called from a payphone and was like I'm just gonna stand here till the cops come yeah come get me I I'm, did it I'm the one who's barely fitting in the <laughs> but truly because he's literally he's like 7'1 or something he's like he's incredibly tall he's gonna stand tall. outside the phone booth <laughs> yeah so this guy is like yeah I'm confessing like what do you want me to do and they're like you said, just stay put just stay right there I know it took us two and a half days to call you back but hang phone on phone tag so the cops tell him like how and where he's going to be arrested. Keith is totally cool about it. He followed all of their instructions. And honestly, like, good thing. I because know. once again, we get the cops saying for five minutes, we had nothing. Oh, thank God he confessed and like waited there and just allowed himself to be arrested or else this guy would be on the loose. But then he does this insane thing because we learned that he's written this letter to his brother yeah. where he's confessed to seven other murders. So he's sitting in the, in the cop's office. They got him on the one. As far as they know, he did one murder. That's all they know. Yeah. He's like, girl, can I use your phone to call my brother? The cop is like, I can't let you out of my sight, but I'm going to sit right here. He calls his brother and basically says to his brother on the phone, hey, Ralph, yeah. you know that letter I sent you where I admitted to seven other murders? Could you tear it up and throw it in the toilet? He says that in front of the other cop. Yeah, that letter where I confessed to eight murders in five years. Can you Could you just throw it, it away? Yeah. And the, and the brother, God love him. His brother pretended like he threw it out, pretended as if he flushed it down the toilet, but he handed it over to the police. He's like, yeah, sure, and flushes and then puts the phone right near it so it sounds really loud. <laughs> Look, I'm flushing. I gotcha. The cops cannot make the point enough times that, like, we only had him on this one murder. He essentially confessed to eight other murders. I have a question. Yeah. Hey, brother, yeah. where were you I know. when you got that fucking letter to Please. your brother confessing to eight murders in five years? Tell me that you were in Barbados and you got home the, the like two you seconds before that phone call. The, the phone's ringing and you got your suitcases and you ran in and answered the phone. And you're like, what letter, Keith? <laughs> oh, this one? And yeah. your jaw dropped. <laughs> That's and him you, opening the letter. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. He doesn't have one of those letter openers. I'm a openers. Foley artist. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so he walks over. 
<laughs> to the toilet. He knocks on the door. Yep. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, hey, brother Ralph or whatever. Like, why were you just holding on to I that know. letter for a later? I date? know. You know, he does the right thing. Thank, thanks, Ralph. Yeah, and all, but also like because Keith led him to that. Like the the murderer is like doing all the work for everybody. Exactly. I resent it. I know. I know. So they, so he gets an attorney. They like he's given a defense attorney, and the cop, the prosecutor calls the defense attorney and is like, just so you know. He admitted in a letter to eight other murders, and we've got the letter. And so, like, go see your boy and find out the deal. The attorney goes to see Je- Jesperson in prison, and he's like, is this true? He, like, shows him, like, is this true? He's like, my fucking brother. And he didn't Jes- flush that. Jesperson's like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. I, You know what? That, it is, in he's fact, not all- even mad at his brother for not flushing it. This guy is totally fucking dead inside. I, he absolutely is. But he also loves being in prison. He'd tell anybody who'd listen, I'm the happy-faced killer. Was talking to the media, and that upset me. It upset the prosecutor, and it upset the judge. This is where it had gotten to sort of a circus level. I, I mean, I had to wake up each day and see what my case was doing. He just loves the attention. He's talking to the press. He's calling all the news stations. He's bragging. Also, don't give this guy airtime. I know. Don't do it. I mean, and he is saying that, like, I'm trying to get the two wrongfully convicted people out of prison. He wants the credit. I know. He wants, he doesn't want Laverne and John to get credit for his handiwork. Totally. That's but why. If you're Laverne and John, you don't care. You just want to get the fuck out of prison. You're John especially. <laughs> totally. <laughs> God. <laughs> and he, like, admits to all of the murders. He IDs all these women. He gives them all the details. It's so fucked up. But he also is like, look, it's done. It's over with. What can I tell you? I know. Like, oh my I God. Know, I know. So it's fall of 1995. This asshole pleads guilty to the murders of Julie Winningham and Tanya Bennett. He's winking at the friends and family in the courtroom. Yeah. I despise him. And the thing that's so fucked up to me is that Laverne derailed this entire investigation in 1990. Right. So many of these women could be alive She today. gave him four more years of freedom and yeah. he confessed to eight murders in five years. Laverne, do the fucking math. I know. Oh my God. You did this, Laverne. Yep. And I mean, like, like these women would be alive if not for her. And honestly, is, did she get in trouble for that? Like, we get no on-screen text at the end of it. We get no on-screen text. She but, lied. But here's the thing. So everyone is thinking, how the hell did she know where the body was? Like, yeah. how was she able to tell us that? We have footage of Laverne, and she goes, I just did it from the papers and the search warrant. Well, how did she know the exact area where Tanya Bennett was found? How you picked the spot where... This uh, victim's body was dumped. Seen all these tracks and all this and that. I knew it had to be around there, somebody. But you can tell where people have been in and out with vehicles and everything else, limbs broke. I just said, this close enough. She said she was able to like read the search warrant like on her table when the cops were doing something else. But she says when when she was in the car and they were driving through the gorge, saying like Laverne pointed out where the body right. was. Where was I'm it? I'm sure they were giving more tells than they even thought they well, were. Well, she says like I was just looking for the area on the road that looked like cars have been driving in and out of there right. recently, where like all the, the broken aftermath bridges were. of the cops looking at the scene. And then we see a picture of it. And you're like, oh my god, everything's like, like flattened. Totally, all the branches are broken and the trees around yeah. the road. Yeah, and someone's like, why did you do this? Yeah. Why did you do that? Because the domino effect of it. Like, I know you hate your boyfriend and abuse is real and whatever, yeah. but like those women could be alive, Laverne. Yeah. And she was like, I don't know. I just wanted John out of the house. I mean, he she, was out of the house, Laverne. He was. he was. You got what you wanted. And then you called them. What'd she call it? Oh, it's uh, correction time. Yeah. You like, you called them with TikTok, like. TikTok, it's correction time. Oh my God. Oh my God. So John and Laverne are released from prison. John was in prison for four years for absolutely no reason. Yeah. And I want to do something. I want to name the victims because yeah. they always get lost here. Yeah. So the victims were. Tanya Bennett, Claudia, yeah. Cynthia Lynn Rose Wilcox, Lori Ann Pentland, Carla, Suzanne, Angela Subrise, and Julie Ann Winningham. 
And so the killer is convicted of six murders in four states and is currently serving consecutive life sentences. He's going to die in prison. Yeah. Now, here's something. Just I'm going to take a hard right turn. Uh-oh. You know the little end bit where the anchors come on? Remember when Lester Holt's like, this has been yeah, daylight. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you later. Yeah. So they did this here. Yeah. One of them is Amy Robach. Yeah. Who is, she's in the middle of that GMA scandal with TJ Holmes. Oh, is that her? I learned about both of those names yesterday. Oh, my I God. I still don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> but if you love scandal and gossip, I guess look it up because according to Twitter, it's fucking well, delicious. they're in a relationship, the GMA people. But and they're also married to other people. Oh, they are? So they are? were like double dating and, oh. the, and the guy, this is all I know, the guy, TJ Holmes, his wife is like a gorgeous lawyer. She hired a PI so they're like <gasps> all these scandalous photos. But I only, I was like, what? Is, why is Amy Robach constantly trending? Who is this person? Oh my God. I learned who she was yesterday. Today I'm watching this and I'm like kind of zoning out like uh-huh. doing doing other things like wrapping up my notes and she's like, and I'm Amy Robach. I was like, ah! <laughs> What? I was like, that's her? <laughs> so anyway. Oh my God. If you love Gossip and Scandal, Here I we suggest are. you look it up. I've totally. heard it's juicy. <laughs> oh my God, this girl we did. What's it called? Sincerely, The Happy Face Killer. Which is only half about The Happy Face Killer. And it's mostly about Laverne. Laverne? I <laughs> She should be, like, charged with some of those things. That was horrible what she did. 100%. Fam, join us on the Patreon, please. Over 350 full ad-free bonus apps. You asked that so genuinely. Join us, please. Please join us on the... I'm saying it like I would say the name Laverne. Please join us. Please join us. And if there are any Laverne's (laughs) out there... I know. Say hi. I would love... Make yourselves known in the Facebook group. Oh, my God. Do you have a friend named Shirley? I'm sorry. You (laughs) know that a lot. I apologize. (laughs) Squiggy? No? Okay, sorry. Come to Obsessed Fest October 20th to the 22nd in Dallas. All your favorite true crime podcasters and personalities. We're bringing in most of the people from last year. New people. Okay. Live shows. Drag brunch. Yeah. It's going to be wild. Come see me on my book tour. That's right. I've got some video footage you are not going to believe. You are You are not going to. You you're just not. <laughs> you're not going to believe it. It really is that good. What are we doing next, girl? So we are doing an episode of a show on Discovery Plus called The Crimes That Changed Us. Oh. And this is the McMartin Preschool Trial. Oh, shit. So I just want to give a quick trigger warning if you're going to watch this before Uh we do it. This is about like horrible abuse that went on in a preschool, but it didn't. So you're going to hear about a lot of things, but like it didn't happen. It's like how Damien didn't kill those kids. Exactly. But like hearing about what happened, but like this, like the things didn't even happen to the kids. So it's not like there was a murder. It's just, it's really actually speaking of Damien, it's like the genesis of satanic panic a little bit. Yes. So it's going to sound horrifying, but just know that it didn't happen. Is that helpful? That is actually very helpful. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Just want to, okay, great. (laughs) All right, fam, that's it. So stay tuned for our Hilarious and amazing outtakes. Oh boy. The trailer for that. Yes. And we'll see you next week. Okay, bye. All right, love you, bye. Thanks. And in my 13 years of working in this field, I've never seen a situation that compares with this one. This is the largest child molestation case ever in the country. It sent shockwaves around the world, and the repercussions are certain to be felt for years to come. When the children started talking about robes and candles, you could see that it had to be satanic. We are continuing to examine evidence following up on a satanic. Wanted by the FBI as a criminal instead of a victim. The shocker, it was stunning. I have seen ambulances. I cannot tell you if there have been any injuries. It's an evil act of terror. So, 
couple weeks later, on March 24th, 1925, um, I, I told you a couple weeks ago, I told you about how I went to do a pickup order at Dunkin' and I got there and it was stolen. And you were like, that's the cost of doing business at Dunkin'. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm just like sharing a story with you. And you were like, I love that you have the Dunkin' app. I was like, Dunkin' was a major part of my life growing up too. You don't, Is that right? Every... Like birthday party, like what? Yeah, when I Mike and I filmed this. the residuals, we would get like a box of Joe and all this stuff. Oh, I grew up God. with Dunkin' Donuts. You're not the only one. Okay. I didn't know that it was here. Oh, I thought yeah. that it was just like in Massachusetts. At that that point. smell is like a time machine. It's true. Like walk. It's like one, it's a f- and that and like Carvel. Ta- yeah, hundred like, percent. That like delicious plastic. Get, oh, if don't, you're not, totally, yeah. just let me have it. It's so good. <laughs> One time I did an event with Kathleen Turner and we were all backstage and she was like getting ready and this lady walked in and like Kathleen Turner said hello to the lady and the lady was like hello like knew that she was somebody but didn't quite know what happened and the lady walked out and came back two minutes later and Kathleen Turner goes, did you figure something out? <laughs> that is so Kathleen, Kathleen Turner. Kathleen fucking Turner. Oh my God. I've I never met like, her but that's like exactly what she would do. Back to the, the only part I know. Now oh, okay. Then. I know that one line. How do you want it? However do you need me, how? However do you want me, how? However do you need me? Oh, look, I know two lines. Are we harmonizing? No. Absolutely Is that what harmony is? The Indigo Girls are rolling over and they're almost crazy. I was going to say, they are very much alive. Don't you dare. It's like whenever I see Dick Van Dyke trending on Twitter, I'm like, fuck, not today! God damn it! (laughs) 